from the Wormy studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another infested hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. The best way to recycle your kitchen waste is with a worm bin. But what can you do if unwanted insects come to the party? On today's show, we'll explain an easy way to banish fruit flies and tell you what to do if drain flies decide to muscle in. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show. Cats and kittens, that's right. Potential guests are busy perusing their plumbing. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and adroitly assembled assignations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, because it's all coming up faster than you being free of flies, but full of castings right after this. Hey, welcome to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, I am always encouraging you to get a worm bin to recycle your kitchen waste into the best garden amendment. But what do you do if fruit flies show up to be a part of that big family? We'll let you know the easy way to banish those flies and how to take care of dreaded drain flies later in the show. But mostly, it's your fabulous phone calls. 833-727-9588. Angie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Hi, Angie. How are you? Good. How are you? I am just ducky. Thank you for asking. Where is Angie good? I am from Nanaimo, British Columbia, up in Canada. Oh, okay. What? Um, uh, I heard British Columbia, up in Canada. What was the first thing? Nanaimo. No, I don't know that. What? What? What is it? Um, we're on Vancouver Island. Okay. Um, so have a similar climate to Seattle. Right. Right. Oh, I know Vancouver Island is uh, what I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It sounds like Little Nemo to me. Is that the name of your town? Nanaimo. Okay. Uh, we have a, a type of dessert bar that's quite famous called the Nanaimo bar. Yeah? It, uh-huh. It is has, it, like, cookies for a crust and then um, custard and chocolate on top. Okay. Well, I do know your climate. I do know the climate in Vancouver. I have been up there, and I have been in Seattle. And, and I tell you, you know this as well. People who've not been there have a hard time imagining what the climate is like but it's it's very mild uh you know but you don't you don't have the excessive moisture that they do in seattle do you in the winter we do it rains pretty much from october through april Mm -hmm. and our trees don't really go dormant because of that because it it doesn't go below zero yeah if you when people think of canada they think of snow but there are uh, I believe there's a high desert area in Canada right uh, right above you, really. So it's a it's a complex climate. Mm-hmm. Just in the interior is uh, uh, the Okanagan Desert. Yeah, it's you know if you if you ask true or false, is there a desert in Canada? Most people would lose the bet. <laughs> <laughs> so what can we do for you? Um, I have some fruit trees uh, on my uh, on my property. It's I moved into last summer, right. and it was some existing trees that were planted that hadn't been well cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two, and they have a metal band that had a name tag around a branch, but that fell down to the trunk of the tree, and the trunk grew up around the metal, which is now embedded. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering what I should do with that, if I should pull it out or cut it off or if the whole tree is just dead and I should replace it. Oh, oh, no, no. It's just been assimilated by the Borg. It's just as lively in a different form. Um, what kind of fruit trees do you have? Um, it is a cherry that has three different branches grafted onto it. Okay. And then there's also a pear. Okay. So you got a normal pear tree. And you have a cherry tree that's grafted with the fruits of three different varieties. Mm-hmm. It, it has a Montemori, a Mont Clancy, and a Bing. Yep. Okay, sure. And you've been through a whole season with these trees, right? 
Uh, I moved in at, on the summer solstice, so at the end of June, and the trees, they both fruited well. Mm-hmm. And now you're looking for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> this... is, is it looks like there's some pus or, or uh, sap coming out around where the metal is stuck into the trunk? There could be. There could be, but you trying to remove it would only make any kind of damage worse. Um, I'm always fascinated when I go to really old portions of Philadelphia. We have some cemeteries in, in Philly that go back to the late 1600s. And, you know, somebody planted a tree that at one time was three feet away from the fence. And about 100 years ago, the tree and the fence got married. And you can't even see parts of the fence. It's just been absorbed by the tree. Um, it's amazing what can happen when these things occur naturally without human intervention. But there is absolutely no harm and no reason to do anything about it. When you have trees that leaf out well and that provide lots of fruit, your game is not to seize defeat from the jaws of victory. All you want to do, and, and really neither of those trees needs pruning to produce a lot of fruit. Um, sometimes people will thin the developing fruits on their pear trees simply because the tree produces too many and the branches start dropping to the ground. Did that happen to you? Um, no, no. The, it, it's a fairly young tree. It looks like maybe it's about 10 years old. Right. Um, and it didn't produce heavily enough that the branches drooped too much. We did put some um, two by fours underneath them to prop them up. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, they're, they're, you and I disagree on what was going on there. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. Um, if, a, if a branch starts to bend down, you can take off a couple of pairs. You probably got more than you could handle anyway, right? Uh, we actually had a bear come in and eat them all before. We well, that's a different pair. phone call, Angie. You know? <laughs> before that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll we'll have to look up on our bear protection <laughs> advice. Yeah, but oh, well, but essentially the answer I, I'm, I'm is everything's fine. Relieved. Go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm quite relieved to hear that um they should just that they'll keep growing well and that they're um I don't need to do anything about this. The danger to a tree is let's say somebody put up a dog run with a heavy metal chain and pulled that tight against the trunk of the tree and that split the bark in a complete circle, that could kill the tree over time. But a piece of metal stuck out of it, that's no different than somebody nailing up a, a, a suet feeder or a birdhouse or something like that. Perfectly okay. All oh, right? Okay. All right. And uh, good, good luck with your bear. <laughs> Make noise before you go outside. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. My pleasure, Angie. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. 833-727-9588 is the number to call. Hope, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks. How, How are you today? I am just ducky today. Hope, how are you doing? I'm fine, fine. And where is Hope Fine Fine? I live just outside of Altoona, Pennsylvania, a little town called Coupon. Okay, very good. I know yeah. Altoona. What can we do for, you know, I got to say, that's kind of the frozen north up there. We still have six inches of snow, which actually leads me for my first question, and that is that I have read for many years that snow cover is protective of plants in the wintertime. Absolutely. Um, however, I have one plant in particular that seems to do strange things with that, and that is that a Pieris japonica, uh, when it's covered, I've noticed this a few times, when it's covered with snow uh, for uh, several weeks, months maybe, and then um, the sun finally comes out melts all the snow, Within 10 days or two weeks, the plant looks horrible, and it starts getting very brown and loses all its leaves. And does it recover? I, I think, you know, in the season, I think it eventually puts on more leaves. Okay. But uh, the plant you're referring to, is that like uh, the common name is the lily of the valley tree? It's a, it's a shrub. Um, um, and it has flowers that look like lily of the valley. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh -huh. Um, is, is it possible that it is near a gutter or some other form of water retaining, um, area compared to the other plants around it? Um, if well, that area, if a lot of snow melts, 
and the area doesn't drain well, uh-huh. that can really stress a plant and lead to root rot and even death. I see. I hadn't thought about that, but that would be concurrent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, so that might be it. The answer there is just extend the gutter out. You know, get. Um, but I, in the past, I would tell people to get one of those rolly things that rolls out by water pressure. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. then rolls back up again, but we found that they're a great hiding place for mosquitoes oh, okay. in the summertime. So I would just run a straight piece of gutter um, a little bit further out. When we had our house remodeled, um, the guy who did the remodeling took all of our gutters and ran them into the ground and then back to the end of the property. And boy, I tell you, the plants really like that change. I'll bet. I'll bet. That's nice. Okay, you got something else? Yeah. Do you have an organic solution for asparagus beetles? Yeah. Now, you live on, um, do you live on a big property or anything like that? Yes, yes. Um, About yeah. an acre. Do you have chickens? Uh, no. Would you like to have chickens? Uh, no, because of what they, I'd be calling you about questions about how to get rid of the chickens that are eating everything else. <laughs> uh, not really. Not really. Um, chickens uh, can be well maintained. And there's this great technique called a chicken tractor. Mm-hmm. Where, oh, I think I know what that is. My friends had one of those. You move it around everywhere. Exactly. And it, it has a lot of different forms. It can either be a huge cage that you use to keep the chickens in one spot, or it can just be a big roll of welded wire fencing that you set up and then run the chickens inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Chickens love asparagus beetles. Mm-hmm. So um, your asparagus comes up and it looks good and you stop harvesting it at a certain stage and then you let some of the, uh, some of the stalks turn into fronds, right? Right. And uh, the, the worst damage, I think, is in the early season when there's fewer of them and the little buggers, I think, are sucking the, the, the fronds dry. So as the season goes on, I seem to have less problems because there's more asparagus coming up. And they can't keep up with all the asparagus. I eat it anyway. Once you um, once you get your uh, once you once you've gotten through the season, you know, once the fronds have done collecting solar energy in yeah. the fall, yeah. they're there really to keep snow in place. Yes, um, because that does keep that snow cover, and uh, the asparagus likes the insulation. Uh-huh. But as soon as your weather turns nice. I would suggest you go out and cut those fronds down, uh-huh. and then uh, the old school says to burn them uh, to get rid of the eggs, and uh, uh, yeah, uh-huh. you may not have any trouble after that. I've tried that. Um, is it? Um, I don't have to worry too much about uh, killing the asparagus or anything. I mean, I can really fry the crowns, kind of. Oh right? no, no, no! You cut the uh, you cut the fronds and carry them away and burn. Oh, them. oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh! I see. I see. No, I've done it in situ. <laughs> no, 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 no. That oh, would not, okay. not be a good idea. Okay. So should I try to scrape it clean of mulching matter? Does that matter? I don't think so, um, no. because every season you're going to want to put down another inch or two of well-composted horse manure, right? Okay. Okay. All right. And then yeah. finally, there is that new BT that's available uh, called BTG. Oh. Uh, Gardens Alive sells it as beetle juice. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, it was designed to uh, to kill adult scarab beetles, Japanese beetles, rose chafer beetles, mm-hmm. and all those other pests. But I, it might be registered for asparagus beetles as well, and you might okay. want to check that out. Okay, I'll check it out. Because okay. it's totally harmless Thanks. to anything else. But I would get the chickens. <laughs> Do you have chickens? No, I don't have chickens. <laughs> I got a life. <laughs> I got a okay. cat. <laughs> okay, one more small question. I love Nemesia, and mm-hmm. I grow it myself because it's so hard to find it in the garden centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year, none of them came up, so I grow them inside. So I was trying to find out if you had any ideas, like uh, darkness or temperature or something no. like that. No, they're not that hard to germinate indoors. All right, then I, I must have just got a bad batch. Uh, you could have gotten a bad batch. Do you use heating pads? Yes. Um, it, uh, the heating pad, I think, is around 75. Unfortunately, I don't have, I don't have any uh, chance to regulate that. Right. But it's a plant heating mat. It's meant for tomatoes and Yeah, and my and setup like. is such that I have a, a styrofoam tray with water in it and wicks up in 
the little cubicles, you know, mm-hmm. with a uh, you know a little wet mat, and the, the vermiculite stuff sits in little trays right above that mat. So everything's nice and moist. And, and but do I, you I, have I, any... I rarely have problems germinating things, so I just want to know. Right. Do you have potting soil in there? Yes. Oh, okay. I have potting soil at the bottom. And then at the very top, I have vermiculite because I've found that if I don't, algae kind of tends, tends to take over if it's pure soil. Okay, but soil from outside? No, no, no. Uh-uh. Potting soil on the bottom of those little sections. Okay. And then on the very, you know, I don't know. You should it. not have mold. You should no mold. absolutely no. not have mold. That, no, no, that's no, no a, mold. There's no mold. But you said that's what the vermiculite is for. Um. If I don't, if I have it just on potting soil and it sits there long enough, it seems to me that green algae kind of stuff develops because mm-hmm. the whole thing has a little lid on it, you know, that keeps the moisture in. Well, you do take the lid off as soon as the first sprouts appear. Yes. Okay. Yes. The ideal temperature for starting Nemesia is 70. Uh, uh-huh. But they should start really well indoors. If you uh-huh. love it that much, get get seed from two different suppliers oh, and try it. And try to hold back on the watering. If this happens again, um, you know, run a fan on this uh, a couple of hours a day. Keep okay. the air moving, but obviously okay. keep it moist till they're up. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck, Hope. Okay. Bye now, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the fabulous Philadelphia Flower Show at 4 p.m. on Wednesday, March 6th. Then it's on to Homestead Gardens in Annapolis, Maryland on Saturday, April 6th. But don't go looking for the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with fruit flies and more of your fruity phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, worm bin problems are infrequent. But when they do show up, they generally show up in the form of fruit flies. We'll tell you an easy way to get rid of those fruit flies and what you need to do if you suddenly have drain flies in your house. How festive is that. Come on, kids. In the meantime, it's lots of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Carla, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Carla. Now, you and I had been exchanging some email messages uh, this week, and you seem like a a very accomplished gardener. uh, I believe you said you have shade on one side of your house and sun on the other side of your house. Correct. I'm in the woods. You're in the woods. So am I. next to a cornfield. Well, I always tell people the big mistake I made uh, many years ago is buying Snow White's old house in the woods. You know, it's great when the chipmunks and birds come in to do the dishes for you, but, you know, four hours of sun a day is not the best for your tomatoes. Well, no, which is why we use grow bags and we move them around on the deck. They go to the front walk. You know, the sun plants can travel. Uh Uh-huh. Good. So you take your tomatoes for a walkie. Yes, we do. That's really good. And do you have a little plastic? They do better when we have them near, um, like, a bird bath. Okay. Because I was going to say, it's when easier you... for the pollinators when they get a little drink than they go and visit the tomato flowers. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Tomatoes. Really? Tomatoes are not pollinated by insects. Tomatoes are truly weird. Tomatoes are pollinated by vibration. 
um, by wind and by walking around. There's nothing a tomato flower loves more than a bumblebee nearby. Those are the perfect vibrations to move the pollen around inside the tomato flower. If you go to a hydroponic uh, place where they're growing lots of tomatoes indoors, Mm -hmm. um, they will probably have uh, these nests and lots of bumblebees inside. Oh, that's really cool because the bees drink out of this one very shallow bird bath in particular. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and that's again, where my plants do the best, including my, my weird obsession with um, hatch chilies from New Mexico. What kind of chilies? Hatch. You know, the hatch green chilies that you hear about, everybody raves about from New Mexico. They're really good. I've been, I've been growing hot peppers uh, for 40 years now, and I, I just find a new favorite every year. But my favorite of all time is a variety called Ordono. Um, the little peppers are shaped like Christmas tree lights, old school Christmas tree lights. Oh, how cool. And they start out green. They turn to a porcelain white. The porcelain white turns to yellow. The yellow turns to orange. Orange turns to red. And then the red turns to blood red. So you've got, if you start picking at the right time, you can have a Christmas tree. You can have all six colors on the plant at the oh, same that's time. that's kind of neat. Yeah, no, I mean, because actually, that's, I am not a huge vegetable grower. Um, my garden style is more of a cottage garden. It would be more like a British or an Irish college gar- cottage garden. So mm-hmm. I have herbs and things interspersed with my other plants. And, you know, random things I'm, like, obsessed with, like, growing cranberries and trying to grow blueberries. (laughs) And they're next to my Franklinia tree. But everybody gets along. Is your Franklinia tree doing well? That would seem to be a rarity. They're tough trees to keep happy. It's two years here, knock on wood, so far so good. I went down to Bartram's Garden and Mm -hmm. bought one of theirs at the plant sale that they have in the spring. Right. Um, And it's been very healthy. I'm going to be doing a question of the week on the Frank Linnea tree um, at some point. And I got to tell you, most of the stuff I've been reading is, is not encouraging. People have a hard time growing them. You know, they went extinct in the wild yes. um, shortly after they were discovered. Yeah, well, it's just I've always liked them. And as someone who kind of grew, grew up a native Philadelphian, mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those those things, you know. What um, you want I never a tree had one in a garden growing up? The you want a tree named for Dirty Ben Franklin? Um, who's a this? My husband's a descendant, <laughs> <laughs> actually. So um, it's kind of a weird thing. I also have a daylily named Ben Franklin. Okay, very for good. Benjamin. I don't know if his last na- its last name is Franklin. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> Well, now, I drive, like, garden clubs and stuff crazy because they'll, you know, they come around and they look and they want to see if, you know, gardens to tour. And they're like, well, what's that cultivar? I'm like, I don't remember. Oh, and yeah. like, look at me because, but I approach it differently. I, 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 I plant for the senses. That's very good. Now, I understand that you have uh, recently uh, put up a Facebook page uh, to, like, it's a couple years in. It's called the Chester County Ramblings Gardening Group. When I moved to Chester County. Um, in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. I, I live in Malvern, or outside of Malvern. I'm not in the borough. Um, there weren't really, for all the groups that you find on social media, there really wasn't a gardening group. There was stuff for specific garden societies and club. you know, but not a regular gardening group where people from all levels, from professional to amateur to, you know, whatever, could kind of come and hang out. So I started one. And what are they talking about? What's the big topic? Uh, The big topic was they were all excited that I was going to talk to you. (laughs) And when were we going to see the the show? Um, People have been posting their indoor plants, like um, clivia and stuff like that. And uh, people are in search of dahlia tubers. I don't know why you are in February, but they are. And um, it's, we share stuff from Gardener's World. We, we share stuff from, you know, fine gardening, um, from, oh, my God, the people whose books I have, the Weekend Gardening Guide. Okay. Rodale. Okay. Um, uh, 
it just it just depends. And then you have people pop up with questions about, you know, is something dead? No, it's the middle of winter. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, like heliobores, that's always a big thing because, you know, they get those mangy leaves sometimes on the end, and you just sort of ignore them and wait for the new growth. So, um, And people are talking about... <sighs> now, I, and but my understanding is you mentioned uh, in a previous conversation, what, email with me, that this is a closed group. What does it that mean? It is a mean? closed group because I think that makes people more comfortable. And it's by membership. You, it's an, it's, it's, you can find it, but you have to request to join it. And I ask, like, you know, three questions, like, where, do you, where are you from? How would you hear about it? Why do you want to be in it? Mm-hmm. Oh, so you mean you're troll-free? I am troll-free. That's, that's quite an achievement in social well, media. I'm kind of like, a, I'm like an older-than-time blogger. I was blogging before it was fashionable, and mommy bloggers did it for coupons mm-hmm. to Disney World. So I kind of learned earlier on than some. So you managed to have a troll-free site on your Facebook page? Yeah, it's kind of fun. We have Jenny Rose Carey's part of it. We have growers. We have master gardeners. We have people like Jenny. We um, uh, I Now, have, Jenny um, runs Meadowbrook Farm for yeah, PHS I mean, it's just, it's, in it's, Abington, PA. and she. I have Jean Bushes in my group. And uh, Jenny just wrote a book on shade gardening that yes, I interviewed her about. which is like about. my new Bible. And that is something I do have to mention because this is the biggest, like, shade and, uh, and woodland garden I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole different way to garden. You have to think about it differently. Your mindset's different. And she is just really helpful. I mean, she was the one who got me all into witch hazels again. Uh-huh. And it was also because of her I tried a camellia, which now has buds for the first time. Okay, great. Now, and I have a Sochi tea plant. I'm weird. I, I plant weird things. Now, your uh, your Facebook page, again, is called? It's Chester County Ramblings Gardening Group. But do you allow people in from yeah. outside the area? I, people, I would think I the advice that's... the UK in it. Oh, okay, good, because the advice would seem to be practical for a huge part of the well, mid-Atlantic. Well, it's not, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's advice-driven. Other times it's just conversation-driven. Like, the bane of everyone's existence everywhere seems to be bishopsweed. Uh-huh. And I still haven't figured out the best way to get rid of it. Good. Well, I'm glad you didn't make that this phone call. All right. So <laughs> once again, uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, once again, the name of the Facebook page. Chester County Ramblings Gardening Group, because I write also under the blog Chester County Ramblings, and I always write about my garden and whatever else floats my boat that day. All right, very good. Well, good luck with it, Carla, and stay no, in touch. I mean, thank you so much. You're like one of my garden heroes. 1-833-727-9588. Garrett, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Garrett. How you doing? I'm great. How about you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Where is Garrett Great? I'm in the Wilkesbury area in northeastern Pennsylvania. Okay. Just uh, Wilkesboro. Oh, I was going to say yeah. real close to Philly, but that's not true. <laughs> it's north of Philly, north of me even. So, okay, what can we do for Garrett up in the frozen north? Not that, not that far up. So your, uh, your show has me thinking a lot about coffee composting. Oh, um, good. I'm a scientist. I'm a college professor. And so I'm working on some plans to do some composting experiments with students. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thank you for the inspiration. Oh, my pleasure. I'm sort of excited to dig into that. You also have me thinking about solarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't before listening to your show. I hadn't heard of it or thought of it. And so... One day I sort of started combining the two ideas, and I'm curious about whether people will add organic matter to the soil before solarizing, if it could work, if I were to put fresh spent coffee grounds on a garden bed before putting down the plastic to solarize, if mysterious great things would happen in there. Well, see, here's the deal with soil solarization, and I get my way of doing this strictly from studies that have been conducted all over the country and there's really it seems there's really only one way to do this effectively but it is very effective if you get enough sun and that's at the beginning of the season you take the plot of land that you want to get rid of 
disease or insects or pathogens, whatever you got, and you rake the top until all the stones and all the debris is away, and then you level the soil surface as perfectly as you can. Then you get multiple hoses dripping, and you absolutely saturate that area until you're at 100%, until the land can hold no more water. It's got to be totally saturated. And then you cover that with clear plastic. I know a lot of people have this idea black plastic kills weeds, but in studies, the only thing that has worked is two mil clear plastic stretched tight and weighted down on the sides with bricks or maybe something more sophisticated to keep the plastic tight. And if you're in Southern California, Southern Florida, Phoenix, you only need to leave this plastic sheet on for a month. But if you're in the Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, Delaware area, you need to leave it on all season. You have to give up that bed. And then at the end of the season, when you pull up the plastic, you have soil that is not only free of everything negative, but within a week, soil life returns to that land and it becomes fertile again on its own. So uh, coffee grounds being mostly nitrogen, they, nitrogen being very ephemeral, you'd lose all the nitrogen during the uh, solarization process, and I can't see it doing any good. But if you take those coffee grounds and you mix them with shredded leaves while that, uh, while that land is solarizing, and then you spread that nice finished compost over top of it, then you got like the perfect place to plant garlic or whatever you want for the fall crop, and then you're ready to go to town in the spring. Okay, so keep solarizing and coffee composting separate. Yeah, I can't, there's really no benefit. The secret of successful solarization is really, unless you're in a, a really hot and sunny climate, keep the plastic on all season, make sure that the land was level, make sure that it's saturated with water, and it does miracles if, if you can give up that, that bed for a season. And again, as I've said so many times, like in my TED Talk and on this show, if you shred up your fall leaves and you mix coffee grounds in with them as you go, you create absolutely perfect compost for your garden. Do you have ideas for things other than shredded leaves to mix with coffee? So I'm out. uh, I don't have a lawn. I've got plenty of trees and grass. I've been collecting friends' shredded leaves. Good, good, good. A little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Hay, straw. um, Which I've been reading some studies where they've used um, waste from. olive oil pressing in Spain and Italy, you know, people are are using lots of different things. Do you have some other sort of waste products that might be good? I think you were right. I think you were right on target with the straw and the hay because they're plant material. The things that could make compost, but the compost would be worthless, would be shredded newspaper and junk mail because there's no nutrition in that. Leaves with their uh, the tree roots reaching down deep into the earth, pulling up all these minerals and nutrients and then sending them up to the canopy where they get supercharged uh, through photosynthesis and then they drop back down. That's probably the most concentrated uh, source of brown material that you can use. But as you go to areas that don't have deciduous trees, you'll be using things like palm fronds or cattails uh, from swamps and irrigation ditches. You know, brown plant material. If it's brown, it's carbon rich, and there's probably no more nitrogen rich material um, outside of manures than coffee grounds. So you would get good results with straw and hay, but they tend to, to be purchased. If you're right. clever and, you know, you put out the word or you know, maybe people in your area put out SPB, stupid people bags, you know, where they actually, <laughs> you know, pay to have their leaves hauled away. You know, yep. stupid people bags, SPBs are like an unattended pen. If you walk by and it's there, it belongs to you. 
That is a sacred law going back millennia. Fantastic. Okay, thank you very much. All right, good luck with your experiments. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind listeners around the globe that anyone can participate in our annual flower show adventure on Wednesday, March 6th. A select group of public broadcasting supporters will join me for a meet and greet with drinks and d'oeuvres beginning at 530. And then I'll escort that esteemed group into the flower show for a behind-the-scenes tour with the show's designer, Sam Lemhenny. Makes a great gift, hint, hint. Get all the details at YouBetYourGarden.org. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of PBS 39. WLVT in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch right now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week and answer all of your issues regarding drain flies and fruit flies. Isn't that festive? In the meantime, a couple more of your fascinating phone calls at 833-727-9588. Don, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, nice to talk to you, Mike. It's good to talk to you, Don. Where are you, man? I am in Mooresville, Pennsylvania. It's right across the Delaware River from Trenton, New Jersey. Okay, very good. What can we do for Don by the Riverside? Well, I was reading an article in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and it was talking about all the rain we got last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Bucks County, and it said Bucks County got 64 inches of rain. Just amazing. Yeah, it's, you, I think you're in Berks County. Berks County set the state record last year for over six feet of rain. Oh, man. And that, of course, wreaked havoc with my garden. I, mean, I had all different kinds of problems I'd never even seen before. Um, my radiator Charlies were a disaster. They turned red on the outside, and they were green on the inside. Really? Now, that's one of the great heirloom tomatoes of all time. Uh, mortgage lifters are incredibly tasty and huge, uh, generally two or three pounds apiece. Yeah, they weren't near that big. I mean, they just turned red. They turned red in the middle of July. And then, mm-hmm. you know, That's unusual, happen. yeah. Well, so, you know, anyway, before— it got me thinking, because um, at the end of the article, they said, well, you know, we could get that much rain again this year. And I was, oh, no, what can I do? And that's my question to you is, what can I do— in advance to help prepare for lots of rain this summer. Well, Maybe it won't happen, but if it does, I'd like to be ready. First of all, don't forget we could also have a drought. Yep, So, absolutely. you know, there is a reason in the Bible that Job was a farmer. You know, that gave Job some experience with what was going to happen to him later in life. Um Uh, When I've gone around the country uh, this past uh, six months or so, and I've had an audience and I've done my tomato talk, I told everybody last year was a free free space on the bingo card. If you didn't get good results, don't worry about it. It wasn't your fault. Now, I I had a pretty good tomato harvest. Obviously, not as not as good as it would have been if I hadn't had. I I probably got four feet of rain at my house. And one of the things that we have to remember is it's not just the water, but every time it's raining, we're not getting sunshine. So the more you tip that balance over to excessive amounts of rain, you also tip the balance over to excessive amounts of shade, even if your garden is, quote, in a full sun area. So it's it's like a one-two punch. Now, are you gardening in raised beds? I am indeed. And how high are they? Ten inches. That's good. What do you fill them with? Um, they were brand new last year. I filled them with a mixture of topsoil, mushroom soil, and uh, bags of lobster compost. Okay. Um, that would be a pretty heavy mix. 
I also added a, a big bag of perlite. Okay, that's what I was going to suggest. Now, when you say garden soil, uh, do you mean from your own garden or some specious no. bag you bought at a big box store? Not a big box store, my local garden center. Okay, and it just said garden soil. Uh, it was topsoil, topsoil, mushroom soil, and um, lobster compost. Okay, the lobster compost is amazing stuff for... Uh, for tomatoes, that's the Coast of Maine product, right? Right. Yeah, I love that stuff. Um, Topsoil tends to be pretty heavy. Uh, mushroom soil can be any one of a million things, but I trust it didn't have any bad smell and wasn't hot when you applied it. Exactly, yes. Uh, the big thing you can do uh, is invest in more perlite. That's really the big answer as my gardens have gotten more compost over the years i mean they're compost for two feet down straight i've noticed that they've gotten a little logy you know if you know what i mean they got a little heavy so the only thing i really add i mean i still add some compost on the surface for nutrition and for disease prevention um but i always mix in a good amount of perlite every year i'm adding more and more perlite to my garden beds, and it seems to have really helped. For instance, in, in a couple of previous years, I've had terrible problems with neck rot on my garlic, and last year, I went nuts with the perlite in that bed, and despite all the rain, the garlic did the best it's done for me in years. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, the other thing that happens, I would think, when we get lots of rain, I mean, I always hear you say, don't water your plants at night, and... It rains at night. Yes, it does. Uh, when it's not raining in the day. Mm -hmm. And so I would think that would expose my plants to um, more disease. Too. Absolutely. It's the book of Job. I mean, you know, gar you know, if you want perfect results every time, if you want predictability, take up woodworking. <laughs> because gardening will always come up with something to surprise you. I mean, imagine being a farmer in a year like that where you don't get a harvest. That's where the expression comes, lose the farm. So it's a risky business. We're not going to be successful every year, but long-term conventional farmers make a profit if they get a 55% harvest. If they can harvest 55% of what they planted, that, that is on the books supposed to take them over from the black to the red. So think about that. And, you know, tomatoes are very susceptible to problems when it, when it gets too wet. you got to make sure you've got calcium in the hole. I don't know if you save up your eggshells and put those in the planting hole. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So at least you didn't get blossom end rot with all oh, the Oh, no, no. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but I know what it was not. Yeah, exactly. So really, the only thing you can do is improve the drainage. You can't have too much good drainage all right so perlite's the answer then perlite is the answer it's like on my little uh thing i put at the end of my emails it says i don't care what your question is the answer is compost uh but if there was a second one it would be perlite okay well thank you mike my pleasure good luck don thank you bye hey there cats and kittens it's mike mcgrath here asking for a favor from you. I know it's bleak outside, and the last thing some of you are thinking about is your summertime gardens, but now is the time to think about them and talk about them. So give us a call, 833-727-9588, and we'll get you set up for a successful summer. All right, it's time for the question of the week, which we're calling worm bin benefits are huge, problems are tiny, plus a word or two about drain flies. Frank in Cherry Hill, New Jersey writes, a couple of weeks ago, you helped me figure out what to do with the very wet worm castings left in my finished worm bin trays. Now a new issue has popped up a sudden explosion of fruit flies and drain flies. My worm bin is in an unfinished area of my basement near my fluorescent light fixtures for seed starting. Ah, but I also have a sink in that area. Seemingly overnight, 
There were fruit flies and similar flying creatures with slightly longer bodies everywhere. I first tried controlling them with flypaper. The strips were black with fruit flies in a week, but the problem persisted. I also put out a glass with some red wine in it. Same result. The drain flies were clearly also in the worm bin. I could see them crawling out of the little holes on the top of the bin. After three weeks of changing the fly strips, completely covered in fruit flies each time after a week, and freshening up the wine, I moved the bin into my unheated garage and cleaned out the drain in the sink. All is now well. I think that people should be made aware of this potential pest issue. I am assuming that the fruit flies came from the fruit that I was putting into the worm bin. Not sure why the drain flies were in the worm bin. Okay. I've had my worm tower, stackable trays that the worms are able to move between, for a solid decade now. And I've had this problem maybe three times. First couple of times I agonized over it and wasted small amounts from some very good, really good bottles of red wine. Interestingly enough, the better the wine, the more the fruit flies flocked to their drunken death in it. But they, like me, completely ignored the really crappy red wines I have been given as gifts over the years. At least the little buggers have good taste. Anyway, one day I had an epiphany. Ah! And shook some BTI granules into each tray of my worm bin and then freshly wet everything down. Within a week, there were zero fruit flies. Why? Because BTI doesn't just protect us from mosquitoes, it, quote, prevents all members of the fly family from successfully breeding in standing water. And the continually moist interior of a worm bin, where the little buggers breed, is wet enough to qualify. Short diversion. The original BT, sold under brand names like Dipel, Thoracide, and Greenstep, kills pest caterpillars and, quote, agricultural worms that eat the sprayed leaves of plants. It does not harm bees, butterflies, frogs, toads, people, pets, etc. BTI, a different strain of the basic BT bacillus, prevents mosquitoes from breeding in standing water that can't be drained. Female mosquitoes lay their eggs in the water, but the larvae die before they can become biting adults. BTI also does not affect bees, butterflies, frogs, toad, people, pets, etc. But it does affect other members of the fly family that breed in moist conditions, like black flies, gnats, and fruit flies. Oh, and drain flies, which are different than fruit flies. They look kind of moth-like, but just as susceptible because they are true flies. In fact, I think they're more susceptible because they breed in standing water, the standing water of the trap that is an essential part of any home drainage system. This U-shaped pipe is designed to prevent sewer gas from entering the home, but it has also trapped and saved many a wedding ring that would have otherwise been lost with a straight pipe system. Anyway, step one is to go under the sink, place a bucket down there to catch any water, Take apart the trap, which is very easy to do, and clean it out, but do that outside. Then run a bottle brush up and down the sides of the straight pipe to get rid of any other gunk that the flies can use for breeding. Put the piping back together, check for leaks, and then rub some petroleum jelly inside a glass jar and place that over top of the drain. Now remove the jar when you do the dishes or whatever, but keep it in place at all other times. Once you go a week without trapping anything in the jar, you'll know that you have solved your drain fly problem. Now, drain flies and fruit flies are ubiquitous. They're also everywhere, and I mean everywhere. Although fruit flies do often come into the house on store-bought and homegrown fruits, they can also just fly in with you when you open and close the door. Same with drain flies, they're all around us. And once they're inside, they're gonna head for the places they like best, drains for drain flies and fruits for fruit flies. Although I certainly can see drain flies being attracted to a super moist worm bin. So don't overwater the bin and make sure to keep draining the worm tea from the bottom of the bin. Now, neither type of fly is a threat to human health. They're just annoyances. So keep BTI granules around to use in your worm bin, keep your drains clean, 
and there won't be any little buggers trying to share your finest wine. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Well, that sure was some great info about swatting flies, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to hide my bottle of BTI. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-PBS-WLVT. Wait a minute, what is that? Oh, 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. All this stuff rhymes. I didn't know that. You'll find all of this new contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to lots of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director, Amanda McGrath, keeps our Facebook page fresh. Check out her fine work and stay current with the show with new postings every day. Tavia Minnick works the phones and always has candy at her desk. Our website wonder is the amazing Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editors are Concrete Kelly Hurd and Judicious Jake Boyer. You'll never find our floor manager, John DeSantis, near a campfire because he is in reality a Martian shapeshifter. Then why didn't he pick a better shape, yells harassed and harried Javier Diaz, our director, maybe our producer, and the man who calls lunch. Regal Ron Ruscha is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is admirable Andy Cummins. Zach Dattakwisneski is in the house. Our CEO, tremulous Tim Fallon, is late for a meeting where he will once again deny that he is the executive producer of this show. But first, he has another meeting that he's late for. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'm never late, and I'm always right. And I'm going to start calling myself the executive producer. And if they don't catch me, I'll see you again next week. Next week.